Lord, we just come now to your word, and I ask for the anointing that makes it obvious that you're speaking, Lord. These people need to hear something that make them go, I know that's not from Pastor Chuck. He's not that good. That's the Lord. That's the Lord. And when you put oil on stuff, even humans and words and sermons, Lord, they have your life, and your life resurrects. Your life brings life into cemeteries and tombstones. You bring life out of death. You turn mourning into dancing. Let your word come forth, an impartation of your word. And so we just, right now, Lord, I welcome you, Holy Spirit. Come, you're already here, but we welcome the weight of your presence to receive from you, Lord, to break out of any Western tradition of we go to church, sing three songs, shake hands, give an offering, hear a sermon, go home. Interrupt that calendar. Interrupt that routine right now, Lord. Let there be a word that, like the word that impregnated Mary, a virgin. There was no way she could conceive. But she said, may it be unto me according to your word. Holy Spirit, conceive something in us right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you love a good sermon that's better than your pastor, and you go, that is not from Pastor Chuck. That's from the Lord. How many of you want to hear one of those this morning? Amen. So we're in this series, Setting the Table. Today, it's simple title, True Worship Exalts God, does three things. Doesn't just exalt God, although that's the primary purpose, but it brings deliverance and freedom. It exalts God, and that's the primary reason we do it. But he, in turn, brings freedom and deliverance. And he does that because when we set the table and welcome him, you build it, he will come. You build a life of worship, he will come. Now, I want to give you some backdrop, and we're going deep this morning. I'm going to do my best to make it easy to follow and understand, but these are profound concepts, and so they don't come with cookie-cutter sermon points. Think about this. Planet Earth, where Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven to the earth. He didn't fall to Mar Mars or Jupiter or Saturn. He came here. That's why in Genesis 1 it says, in the beginning, God created, and he created here in a place where it was dark, chaotic, formless, empty. It was a broken world, and it was broken because Satan came to this planet, and the Bible says, it's interesting to look, that God, had, he's not welcome here on this earth, on this planet. He's welcome all throughout universe, the universe, the heavens. They declare the glory of our God. But here on this earth, even Jesus said, foxes have holes, birds have nests. I don't have a place to even lay my head. When he came and God comes down, and we'll talk about that. That's one of the principles. He comes down. But he's not invited here often. And even when Jesus came down to be born, there, at the moment, there was no room for him in the end. And in Revelation, the Bible says, Jesus said, I stand at the door outside the church knocking. I'd like to come in. The lukewarm church, he's outside. Even in the church, I find it interesting. No wonder Jesus told the woman at the well, my father's seeking a place. My father's seeking a place where somebody will truly, in spirit and in truth, set the table. Because I want to be there. And so this morning, again, the backdrop, the backstory of this sermon. So this is not the text or the beginning, but it, is, it helps us understand the value of worship. It's way more than we think it is. 
So he, he creates man and he, he gives him life. And that life is a relationship with God. And that's what makes life on planet Earth life. Without God, your heart may be beating, but you're not alive. And you've heard me say this before. Adam was perfectly created. He looked like Arnold Schwarzenegger. He, he had muscles. He was chiseled. He was an Adonis. Everybody, every woman in here would have fallen over him. He was the prototype. Before the fall, that'd be a great-looking guy, don't you think? But he laid there lifeless until God, Genesis 2, verse 7 says, God breathed life into him, into his nostrils. And that word is ruach. It's the same word in the Old Testament we have for Holy Spirit. So the, the, the essence of God, his, his breath, he took Adam and he, he didn't resuscitate him. He suscitated him because he, he had never been suscitated. And he breathed in him. And the, and the word ruach means breath, wind. Or life. The New Testament is another word. And it's the same word that, that is used for, to describe the Holy Spirit. And so Adam lays there lifeless. And, and he, he wakes up. And the first breath he takes, it's infused in his lungs by God himself. And Adam wakes up. That's the first thing he sees. So worship is natural because he sees God. And he understands this is a relationship. An up-close, personal, intimate relationship. And out of that relationship, God then says, I want you to rule the earth and subdue it. And he gave him dominion over the earth. So we see relationship and then rulership. The animals aren't going to be in control. You are. You have dominion. We know later that he forfeited that key and gave it to Satan and Satan now is the prince of this world. And Paul says he holds the whole world under his sway. Satan even says to Jesus, if you'll bow down, I'll give you the keys. I'll let you be in charge of the earth. And Jesus doesn't say, you can't do that. You don't have the key to that. Jesus, Satan had been given the key. But Jesus wasn't going to get the key on Satan's term. That's why he went to the cross. And so we see there's a relationship that enables one to have rulership or dominion. And these are the royal terms we see. King and priest. Dominion. Kingdom. Kingdom dominion. And so out of the relationship we have with God, he calls us to rule and to subdue. And then when that relationship was broken in the garden, and it was, and it was a dark day, because sin entered and Satan came. He was still on that planet, this one. And he was able to dupe them to get them to disobey God's command. And the relationship was broken. God came down and created on the earth a man in his image that would drive back the fallen angel, Lucifer, who had control in the earth. And he gives him the right to do that. And Lucifer, Satan, creates brokenness in that relationship and God says that's okay I got it you've lost the relationship is broken you're no longer in control but here's what I'll do and he says these are just the first two chapters of Genesis and he says that woman will have a baby and it's not going to be easy for women to have babies anymore that and somewhere along the line they'll be I'll be born and they'll be a a Messiah come and be born. And, and he will restore this. And until then, 
In that broken relationship, what did Adam and Eve do? In that broken, darkened relationship, they went and got some fig leaves to cover themselves because they felt shame. That was new for them. And in their shame, when they came back, you know, like they were, like God wasn't going to notice. You got fig leaves. You didn't, why are you? And he, he even asked them, and he asked this question every time we gather. He says, where are you? God hadn't lost Adam and Eve. It was a rhetorical question so that they would answer it. Uh, we were afraid, so we hid. That's where we were. And God knew it. And so he and, listen, this is where worship is initiated. This is the first act of worship. God's saying, fig leaves won't be enough to cover your human shame. So God goes and kills an animal. Blood has to be shed. The sacrifice of worship, and that blood would speak about Jesus coming on the cross many years later. And he takes the skin of that animal and says, here, this will clothe you. And so we see God going, the relationship to give you rulership, broken, no more. But I'll create worship so that you can enter back into relationship and we can regain your ability to reign, listen, in life. Romans in the New Testament speaks about this and Paul says, for if because of one man's trespass, Adam, because what he did, death reigned, death was supreme and in control through that one man, how much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness, these three words, how much more now since Jesus has come, will they reign, there's another priestly, kingly, royal term, reign, that's what kings do, you have to have authority, you have to have some rulership authority. And he says, everything that was lost in Adam, now that Jesus has come, he's restored that. And you can reign in life again. What does that mean? It means that you're able to do what you're supposed to do when you're supposed to do it the way you're supposed to do it. That's reigning. In life. That's the fruit of the Spirit, the last one. You have self-control. How many of you like to be married to someone who's reigning in life. They're able to do what they're supposed to do when they're supposed to do it, the way they're supposed to do it. How many of you thank God you are married to someone and they're getting better all the time that's reigning in life? Y'all out there? And so this, this is a great promise. And so to reign in life is that. It's also the ability to rule your life out of the relationship you have with the Father knowing that relationship is sustained through worship. All right, now with that backdrop, backstory, let's go to the book of Exodus. And what we see in the book of Exodus is it's about more than the children of Israel or God's people getting out of bondage. It's about them getting out of bondage so they can have freedom in life and be who they're called to be to fulfill their destiny. And it all starts, look, where God in Exodus 3, he comes down again. The children of Israel in slavery, they weren't looking to get out of slavery. They were just being slaves. And God comes down, the Bible says, on the backside of the desert, and he speaks to Moses. And look here, and we see in this conversation, it's a non sequitur conversation where it's like the conversation, somebody has ADD. It's like when you go, you ask someone to marry you, and they go, I like your car. That's Thank you, that doesn't answer. 
but will you marry me? You come from a great family. That, will you marry me? You know, it's like, do you ride the bus to school or pack your lunch? What? And Moses is having a conversation where God calls him and says, you, sir, Moses, take your shoes off. It's holy ground. I'm commissioning you. It's the, so here's the scene. The setting is the Mount of God, Mount Horeb, H-O-R-E-B. And God brings us to the Mount of Horeb. His mountain is what it means, the mountain of God. And when we do what he tells us to do, it, it's Mount Horeb. When we don't, it becomes Mount Horeb Bull. And, that, and when we come there, we, chew, we, we, have hor- we don't reign in life. We have a horrible experience with God, and we blame God for it. And so he comes to call Moses, and we see this non-sequitur kind of ADHD conversation. Moses said to God as he was called, but who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of you? Uh, 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 he stuttered. Who am I? And then God answers and doesn't answer the question. Moses says, me? How, how am I going to do that? And God says, I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I've sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt. You shall worship or serve God on this mountain. So we see Moses, who am I to attempt so great a program of deliverance? God says, I will be with you. You will bring the people here to worship me. And so we see right here, now everybody look. Many of you know, you know about the book of Exodus. And it, it is literally exit us. It, it is the way to get out of bondage. But it's not just the way to get out, it's the way to stay out. And the key is worship. Now, I've got to help you see the book of Exodus differently, everybody. We need a clean slate, throw out that file, and let's get a new one. Because you look at, you've seen the the movie, Cecil B. DeMille's movie with Charlton Heston as Moses. It's not lifelike. You know, you look at Charlton Heston and you go, No wonder the Red Sea parted. Look at him. He just looks like God Jr., you know. No wonder Pharaoh let the people go because he said, let my people go. That's not how Moses was. Moses was way more like Pee Wee Herman than, than Charlton Heston or The Rock or Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'm not trying to be cute. That's a fact. And it wasn't like Pee Wee, Charlton Heston, Moses. No, it was like Pee Wee, Charlton Heston, Moses. He was a lot closer to that. And God said, no wonder Moses said, me? How's that going to happen? God says, I'm going with you. That's how it's going to happen. And so what we see here, and you, you know, you, you look at the, the nine plagues in the movie. In the motion picture movie, it ends, hear me. It ends with the people of God being delivered. The end. And that's not the end of the book of Exodus. And that's not the end of God's story when we worship. Getting out of bondage, out of slavery, unable to reign in life, a broken cycle of bondage, getting out of that is not the end. It's the beginning And so this is why I want you to understand 
the, the doctrine and theology around worship, it's so much more than... We read the book of Exodus and we go, man, the nine plagues, parting of the Red Sea. Wow, that's so awesome. They got out. And that's not it. And, and by the way, God is so intentional and powerful. He, for instance... The ten plagues, the first nine of them, he took the top nine gods in Egypt, false gods. He goes, you want to worship the god of the Nile? Let me show you who's in charge of the Nile. Bloop, and turned it into blood. You want to worship frogs and think, yeah, get a frog. That's, that gives a woman the ability to reproduce her reproductive rights. And God's like, I'm going to give you so many frogs, you, you, you'll wish you had never had any frogs. And God is deliberately Sending those plagues, saying, that's not a real God. And then the last plague is when all of the, the oldest son and the, the oldest of the cattle, if it, as it were, they're going to die when the death angel passes over. And that's the last plague. And it speaks, God, this is God saying, I've got the final word. And the final word is the Passover lamb is going to bring you out. And so we see... Their worship, honoring God, doing what he said, the foreshadowing of Jesus, the blood over their doorposts, that's what brings them out. And God wants to bring them out of slavery to the mountain where they worship. And he reveals this is not just a deliverance program. This is a freedom program. And when you go into the place of promise, you will worship there and that will sustain, remember, relationship, I rule, I have dominion, I worship, and I, my relationship goes deeper and there's more intimacy, and now I have greater authority. Oh, I want to worship you even more, God, and that's the cycle. But we go, relationship slavery bondage I'm out oh praise the Lord and then we get careless and sloppy and this is this is the church we don't so we don't worship in spirit and in truth and God is saying I'm standing at the door knocking set the table this is my party this is my house this is why Jesus said my father is seeking and brothers and sisters oh I got a lot to say this morning how many are picking up what I'm putting down so far if nothing else, you're, you're, you've been thinking about Pee Wee Herman for eight minutes, and you need deliverance over that. <laughs> All right, so here we are in Exodus. With all, but all that drama makes you lose the fact that Exodus is not about deliverance. It's about worship that delivers and takes you in. God didn't want to just get the children of Israel out of Egypt. He wanted to get them into the place of promise. Hallelujah. Now... In Exodus, worship is the heart, the core, the issue, the key, the destiny, the center, and above all else, it's all about worship. Seven things real quick. Take pictures. Don't write, try to write notes. I'm going to move too, quick, too quickly through these. Worship is at the heart of Moses' commission. God says, bring the people here that they may worship me. He's not just calling them freedom. He's calling them to worship. Number two, worship is at the core of the message the Lord told Moses to tell Pharaoh. Verse 18, you tell him, you say to him, the Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us. And now, please, let us go three days into the wilderness. Why? 
So we can stop being slaves. No, that we may sacrifice, we may worship the Lord our God. Pharaoh was like, I, I'm not down with that. He wasn't a fan of this program. His industry, it impacted his economy. He no longer has slaves. No wonder he didn't like it. But that was the heart. That was the call. Number three, worship is at the issue in the power struggle between Pharaoh and God. Pharaoh's resistance to God's declared purpose rested on his own refusal to honor God. Verse 2, chapter 5. Pharaoh goes, who is the Lord that I should do this? God would have exalted Pharaoh too, as well as delivered Israel, had he just listened and obeyed. A few chapters later, verse 16 of chapter 9, God says to Pharaoh, For this purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Pharaoh, get with the program. Even you, outside, you're not even a Hebrew. You're not even part of my program. But if you understand worship... I can bring you into relationship. You can rule. But God is saying, if you're with me, I can use you. If you're not with me, I can still use you. You can live in infamy or you can become the greatest emancipator in all of history. He said, I'm not going to worship. You live on in infamy. As, as many people who do who miss their purpose, their moment. Number four, worship is the key to Israel's protection. From the final plague as well as to the first stage of their journey ahead. i got to pause right here. I feel the Holy Spirit would say, you know, God is so working right now. I didn't say this in first service, not in my notes. I, feel, I hear the Holy Spirit clearly saying, so many of us are consumed with COVID. Where did it come from? Why all the lying? Why all the cover-up? Why all the, the, the medications that are working? Why won't they let us have them? And God would say to us, the people, if they did create this, they will drown in their own sea. The Red Sea closes in on the wrong people, but it opens up for the right people. How many have just received that? Thank you, Lord. We just thank you, Father. And you go, wow, you just went hardcore right there. God's hardcore. This is about people. God doesn't want slaves. He doesn't want his people in bond. He'll get hardcore. That's why he comes down. I think he's coming down in COVID and all the craziness in the world. And I think these next three or four weeks, hear me. I'm not, some of y'all go, Pastor Chuck, we came to this church because you were taking a position politically. We came to this church and now we're, where you, the, don't, don't miss these next three or four weeks. You can fight in the flesh or you can worship and watch God bring a deliverance. Let that thing just close back in on the wrong people. How many of you are glad to be in the right crowd, the right people, God's people? Thank you, Jesus. Now, worship is key to Israel's protection from the final plague as well as gives them some food to eat through the wilderness. i got to move on. Number five, worship is the destiny of this people. It's verses four through six, God's... He says, just look at the last part right here. He says, my plan is I want to get you out and make you a kingdom. There's another authoritative royal word. I want you to be a kingdom of priests. There's the worship word, priests, who worship sacrifice. And I, I want to do this so the whole world can see how awesome I am, God is saying. Number six, worship is at the center of their lives. I don't have time to read this whole deal, but look here at this picture. Is this, can you pull up that picture? I'd like to show it right here. Worship is at the center of their lives. Look, this is them, a graphic that's, this is how they set up their camp. 40 years, 11 days journey, 
They should have made it there in 11 days. And if they'd have kept God in the center, worship at the center, they would have made it there in 11 days, not being disobedient, but being obedient. But because they didn't, he, it's, it's a 40-year journey. And God says, I want to be right in the middle. Look, there's the 12 tribes. And look, just think, this is their protection. Like, like this, this shepherd and his son or whoever that is. Like the armies, you read through the Old Testament. The armies would come up over that hill and we talk about it. Jehoshaphat and all those battles that fought. God said, you don't need any, you don't, you don't need to fight. You don't even have weapons. You're former slaves. You don't even have it. But what you have is when, they, when those armies come up over that hill and they look down there and they see the manifest Shekinah glory, the presence of God. The, the enemies see the presence of the Lord. How many of you love get a little Old Testament reality in our New Testament spirit-filled church where we would begin to experience? I believe that's why now there are more filled seats than empty seats in this church because God has become, he's taken center stage at this church. Oh, I feel his, I feel his, listen. May we never put a person, including me, my wife, any staff member, may we move off of this stage and say, God, let us just disappear in your glory. We decrease. Because what do we want? Do we want Chuck Ramsey's? Or do we want God's? What do we want? We want God's. Amen? Come on, clap your hands. Lord, we offer up a sacrifice of praise to you, Lord. To you, Lord. Worship is at the center of their life. I wonder what's at the center of our life. We know what's at the center of our lives. Avalon, Main Street, Woodstock, shopping, restaurants. We spend time and lots of money. Ballparks, activities. Oh, what God could do if we, we put him back in the center. And it's in this point, Exodus 25, God says this. See if you catch this. This is a theme right here, verse 8. Let them make me a sanctuary, a sacred place, that I may dwell among them. And there I will meet with you and I will speak with you. What is that? That's God saying, tell them, set the table for me. I will come. Build me a sanctuary. I will come. Number seven and lastly, worship is over and above all in the calendar the Lord outlined for the newly enfranchised society of former slaves and he gets them out and says y'all been working oh I got just a few minutes to say a whole lot everybody listen so they come out of slavery going through the wilderness and God's like all right I got to teach you how to worship y'all been working eight days a week making bricks as slaves but now that you have control over your schedule every seventh day take it off and rest and then he also institutes, I want you to celebrate the Passover. This is their Christmas, the greatest holiday. And we hear the term Passover and we're like, Christmas. Nobody thinks about, what does Christmas mean? It's Christ Mass. We celebrate God giving us the greatest Passover. What does that mean? It's the celebration of the worship that they offered up as slaves in Egypt. And the, the blood was applied to their doors, the sacrifice, and that blood there. And the death angel came over, and all the Egyptians lost their oldest cow and their oldest son, but not the people of God. Because the death angel curse did not strike the people of God. So he passed over 
And Jesus becomes the Passover lamb. And so when we worship, we ought to be like the Jewish people. Thank God for the Passover lamb. And I know we're sitting here as Americans, top 5%, top 3%, North Atlantans, educated, all kinds of benefits, conveniences, privileges. But you know what? If God hadn't sent his Passover lamb to the cross, none of us would be here. Our lives would be a wretched mess, broken relationship, no authority to live, to reign in life. But here we sit. And may we, in many of our accomplishments that we've offered God our talents and abilities, but may we sit here and go, thank God that we're not living for you in our own strength. Thank God that the curse is broken, sickness is gone, healing can come, death no longer reigns, fear of death no longer reigns, the tomb is empty. The blood of the Passover lamb has been applied to the door of my heart, and I'm free to reign in life. Come on, somebody. We praise you, Lord. Now, three. Um, so Exodus 19, we, we don't have time to look at this whole thing. It's not all in this sermon, but God's, he, the, the point of this, the whole of Exodus is God is like, I wanted to get you out to make you a kingdom of priests in Exodus 19. And that plan fell apart in Exodus 32. Why? Moses goes up to the mountain to, and God gives him the Ten Commandments over a period of about 40 days. And the people of God are going, why is he up there so long? Did God bring us out here to kill us? I want to go back. Well, we can't go back. Well, let's... Let's take all of our gold and let's make us a false god like we had back there. We don't have any god out here. Let's just make us one. And that's what man does. Whether it's leisure, sports, money, sex, whatever it is. Let's do something to occupy our time that we can at least feel alive. Moses comes back down with the Ten Commandments. He goes, y'all are singing, but you're not worshiping. That's a strange sound. I recognize it. He goes, what are you doing? And he gets so angry, he takes those gold, that golden calf, and he grinds it all the way down to dust. Then he, makes it, he puts it in their water. And he goes, drink this. I want you to be delivered. You can, we cannot do this. And, and Moses stands up, and he says to all 12 tribes that were up there, and he says, at this moment, I've just received that God's given us 10 strong suggestions that will help us live. I was just gone for barely over a month. And you're, you still got Egypt in you. He says, choose. All of you, choose. Who are you going to serve? And 11 of the tribes go, God is freaky. We just sang about the mystery. I'll, I'll praise you even in the mystery. We, all the songs we sang today are like this sermon illustrated in music. And, and the 11 tribes go, no, get somebody, hire clergy, get some priests, but not a, we'll follow them, but I don't want to be like that. And one tribe, the tribe of Levi goes, we'll do it. And they become the priests. And what happens? Well, Moses was a Levite, so he was kind of a homeboy. And they, and they were like, we're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're with you. Thank God for it. So here's what we see. 
one out of 12. And that's about the average in most churches. About one out of 12 Christians gets worship, understands their calling to be a priest. About 11 out of 12, go, they come to church, and, but y'all do the heavy lifting. You get the word of God and tell me what it says. And God's like, no, I want everybody right here. About 8% of the people, but not so at restoration. At restoration, I'm saying this sincerely, we're about 11 out of 12. It's like, it's about 1 out of 12 don't get worship here. And that's why almost every week, every week somebody stands up here and they introduce themselves and I say, I, I hope you enjoyed it. And they go, oh, we started crying when we got out of the car. I'm not, this isn't melodrama, brothers and sisters. Pastoring, sitting in the office I'm sitting in right now, it's like, do not pinch me. We've lived our whole lives for a season of fruitfulness like this. And people will go, oh, I shouldn't have even worn makeup. I cried all during the worship, the sermon. And Pastor Jeff, well, you just said God and just, and I'm like, I didn't say that. I wasn't even in a sermon. God said that. Why? Hear me. Somebody is in this room that we can't see. But he is here. Hold on just a second. And when humanity comes in contact with divinity, whew, oh, the ruach of God. I've got more to say. You know, Paul said, even if you go, Pastor Chuck, that you do all these great Old, sermon, Old Testament sermons, but no, it is so connected. Paul goes, in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 6 and 11, he goes, all that stuff happened as examples for us upon whom the end of the ages has come. We're the last day's people, so please, let's learn from their examples. Be a Levite. Be one of the ones that's in the game. And then Paul goes, in, or, or the writer of Hebrews in chapter 11, he lists all those great people of faith and all their accomplishments. And then what does he say about them? All those people like Moses, Abraham, Daniel, all of them did amazing things. And Paul said, but they didn't get it. They fumbled the ball. And there's another era coming. And we are those people. And, God's, and, and the writer of the New Testament book of Hebrews says, what... What God is about to do in the last days makes all those great patriarchs go, oh, I wish I hadn't been alive on that boat, that ark. I'd like to be there in the last days. You've heard me say this before. Many of us are going to get to heaven and go, Abraham, what was it like? Noah, what was it like? And they're going to go, oh, it was like this. And, and they're, going to say, they're going to ask us, what was it like to have the Holy Spirit, have God living in you? They're going to ask us. We are living so far beneath our privileges. We're going to rise up, though, in the name of Jesus. We're going to, to rule and reign in life through the relationship that is initiated and sustained by worship. Closing with this right here. Everybody listen quickly and closely. For three weeks 
in prayer and devotion, the Lord has said to me clearly that many of the people here get it. Many of you, you're like, I, I'm not going to listen. For, you don't need a professional clergyman. I'm going to read. I'm gonna, but you've had the, the, the wind knocked out of you. you. You ever had the wind knocked out of you? Like playing football growing up and even basketball a couple times. You get hit so hard, knocks you back, hit the right time, the right place. And it, when you get the wind knocked, it's, you can, it's a medical scientific condition. You've, you've inhaled, and you're, right before you exhale, you get hit. And, and it temporarily paralyzes your diaphragm. And you sing from your diaphragm. That's how you push out air. But it gets, you've got air, but you can't get it out, so you can't get any more. If you've ever had the wind knocked out of you, you it's like you died, but you didn't. Anybody ever had it? Some of y'all sitting there, your stress, anxiety is coming over you right. Because that's like manifested anxiety. You've got, oh, and you can't let any out. When you get the wind knocked out of you, you get hit in the perfect place at the perfect second. How many of you know Satan knows how? to hit us in the right spot at the right time and then Christians all over the place go ah that just hurts too much and they lay there and go I'll get up eventually but because when you get the wind knocked out of you at a football game you can go back in the game but that just that you feel it for 25 30 minutes you can be after the game the next morning and, and Satan knows how to take the ruach out of you. He's, and then you, you go, I, I'm going to be one of the 11, not one of the t Levites. And you stop worshiping. Your relationship goes cold. You have no authority as an overcomer. And the Lord comes today to say to somebody, there's a group of people in this church. You got the right heart. You're walking with the Lord. You love the Lord. But you've kind of fallen into a routine because Satan, at the right moment, the right time, hit you in the right place, and you're down. Now I want to say, somebody speak over you. Proverbs 24, 16. Solomon said, a righteous man falls seven times. That's a lot. It's not very encouraging, is it? But he gets up eight. How many of you, all you want to do is just get up one more time than you have fallen? How many, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Paul said, we are persecuted, but we're not destroyed. We're struck down, but we are not knocked out. He's come after us, but we're going to come back after him. If you're here this morning, and just right now as I say this, COVID has knocked the wind out of the entire church. Most pastors are at 40 to 60% of what they were in attendance. And online, God bless it, thank God for it, but it is not the same. And he has knocked the Ruach out of the church. If you're here today and you go, I think that's what's, I, I need to. If you're here today and you feel it, that's me. I want you to stand right now in the name of Jesus. God's going to breathe Ruach, fresh spirit, fresh oxygen into your spiritual lungs. Come on, in the name of Jesus. In the name, get back up, get back up, get up off the mat. Get back in the game in the name of Jesus. Let the Ruach, the breath of God, the life of God, the Holy Spirit breathe on you again in the name of Jesus. Come on, stand in the name of Jesus. Don't just sit there. 
Don't be, ah, I'm more, there's more, 11 out of one, I don't want, come on, stand up in the name of Jesus. Even right there, as you stand. Now the rest of you, stand with me, and I want everybody to just take a deep breath. Take a deep breath, go. In a COVID world, isn't it good to be able to breathe? Did any of y'all have COVID and you did this? <gasps> you couldn't do that for like three weeks. The devil's a liar. The church needs to go. Because God wants to put the ruach in us, his worship. Don't be distracted by our precious brother. Not that anybody is. We know that some of our special needs people that are saying, I'm with it. That's their effort. We know that, that they're going, amen. And they can't communicate it. Don't be distracted by it. Let's think about if, the, if we don't, the rocks are going to cry out. Thank God for the praise that's in all of us. And may that praise bring a breakthrough over our precious brother. In the name of Jesus. May he rise up. Come on now, we praise you, Lord. Father, I pray over every person that's here this morning. We would understand, we set the table, you come. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the desert, in the trial, in the cemetery, at the tombstone. We set the table, you come. You're a God of breakthrough. You come down to bring us out, take us to the mountain, teach us to worship so that you can take us into the place of destiny where we are sustained by worship there in the name of Jesus. I take authority over sickness, over distraction. I take authority right now over what the enemy would do to keep us from breathing in the Spirit and exhaling the Spirit. And that is in worship. In the name of Jesus, we praise you, Lord. If you love the Lord and you're thankful for his word, let's give praise right now. Just exhale a praise. Offer up a sacrifice to the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. May the Lord bless you, keep you, make his face shine upon you, be gracious unto you. May he lift his countenance up on all of you. May you see him when he sees you. May that give you joy and peace in the name of Jesus. Say it, I receive it in the name of Jesus. God bless y'all. Have a great afternoon. We love you.